Alright, welcome to episode 12 of the Exodus of Magic podcast. This is Dungeon Master Eddie, uh, back with his buddy Jeff. And this episode, we're going to start looking at uh, the different classes. Like We're going to do a series of these episodes called So You Want to Be. Uh, much like in episode 10 with my buddy Tom, we did the an inaugural So You Want to Be a DM. This one is So You Want to Be a Fighter. And we're starting at the beginning with Fighter, uh, because Fighter is arguably the most known and understood character in Dungeons & Dragons. Even going back to the original, original cartoon, uh, the original video game where you just had the one guy running around, it was a guy with the helmet and the shield and the sword uh, who you had just one action button on the controller and then he would die if you didn't hit the button at the right time. In essence, that first video game was a, just a giant quick-time event video game. Um, so thank you and curse you at the same time. Um, so, uh, Jeff, opening thoughts on being a fighter. Well, awkwardly, despite it being so easy to understand, I feel fighters are the most complex and diverse of the classes that it is also the hardest to understand because depending on where you put your stats or what you want to specialize in and i think that's the key is you when people type things as i'm playing a fighter and people expect just the generic but it all comes down to build diversity based off of what are your specializations <laughs> Right, if we look, there's there's the archetypes in fifth edition that, that kind of guide you along a path, right? Where you're you're the champion, and one of the big things is the improved crit, which right, any player using any kind of weapon loves the idea of a, a critical hit, right? You had the Eldritch Knight, which was a, a prestige class in third edition, where we're going to start uh, mixing in magic. Uh, at the lower level so that we can give you that kind of archetype and you're not waiting a bunch of levels and throwing a cross-class stuff to get there. You know, you look at, I was, I believe it was like the, the Marshall or whatnot. Oh, I forget what it's called, but it's got Superiority Dice, which is already the greatest name for a die. <laughs> um, but it gives you maneuvers, so they sort of pulled from... Uh, and three five at the later, you know, in the back nine. In fact, probably yep. the eighteenth hole when they threw in the um, book of nine swords. Book of nine swords, big favorite of mine. But I mean, especially with how fifth edition is based around these maneuvers are way toned down from book of nine swords and are quite fair unless you know how to pull the strings. How to pull the strings. I think back comparatively to um, third edition, where your your base fighter was built on a very open idea: is you get fighter bonus feats at one, and then two, and then every even level thereafter, four, six, eight, all the way up to twenty, so that you had this this infinite variety where there's all of these feats you can choose from to try to customize your your fighter in any number of ways, which. You know, for most players sitting down, your first thought of a fighter is is kind of Boromir, right? Yeah. He's sword and board, he's got a bow, he can pick up a pole arm, right? He's, he is capable with just about any weapon you put in his hand. But Whereas, he was more specialized towards the sword, he just mm -hmm. knew what to do. Exactly, and you, like, comparatively, you look at Legolas, who was, yes, he had the swords, he was really all in on the bow. 
right? He was he was yeah. He just had some scimitars for that he got the bonus to Dex because of weapon finesse. That's right. <laughs> just just Dex fighter all the way. It's like I don't. I'm not going to do a lot of damage. I'm just going to do a lot of attacks and get to the same place. Uh, and then as you you consider fighters. Uh, throughout the systems and decorative fighters as NPCs usually uh, are where you would see see pole arms uh, like the, like when we think of like spear and shield you get into like the 300 Leonidas and and the Spartans uh, you're you know they typecast some things where your dwarven fighters are going to have the the axe and hammer right your your halfling fighters are going to have their their short sword but they're also going to be sling based for their range stuff right they've I don't want to use the phrase cookie cutter, but they've set a base template as to high frequency in these for these races mixed with these classes. I mean, you could say that about almost every class, but yes, fighter, uh, the, it has so many different cookie cutters based off of what the race is, uh, which is even funnier when it is human fighter is statistically the most picked because people that are new or uh, even people that are more experienced either choose a human because of familiarity or a human because they are the most broken in uh, every edition. In 3-5, getting the extra feet in skill point two. edition. Yeah. yeah, and the extra skill points, which you do need as a fighter in 3-5. Um, but uh, in 5th edition, if you go the variant human, you still get that extra feat. Or you just get a plus one into every stat. Uh, like, you can't beat that, right? <laughs> so, it is. Um, and and the human archetype is yeah again just that that Boromir is that cookie cutter and it's a shame. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you know because you fighter like a, a human fighter being a bow specialist. You know you can. Out DPS almost every ranger if you go solid fighter through your bow training because you get all of the feats quicker than you would the ranger and you get extra ones on top of it. This is true. You you have a chance to put all of that in the bag and uh, in doing so, it gives you it gives you options, uh, which which is one of those things you you mentioned the ranger and that brings up. Uh, some of the, the criticisms early on, because as, as much as for new players you see a lot of fighters, I would say as you, at least my experience in 3.5, as you had more and more uh, people gain more and more experience, the amount of people who played fighter dropped off, right? Because you started to get, I, I, I don't know, I, w- I would say the... Um, the the almost stick in the muds, right? The the whole there's only one right build for everything. It's like, well, you're better off if you want to do more DPS, be a rope. If you want to be a range, you do range, be a ranger, right? If you're gonna tank, be a be a cleric in full plate armor, right? Where you can you can heal yourself, you still get to wield the shield, uh, and a cleric's gonna draw aggro anyway. So you had the the unappreciated um, snobs of the D and D world. Uh, your, your fighter is a good, all right, Timmy, you're learning to play. Here's your fighter. Swing your sword. Um, and then it's as if it it's assumed that's something you grow out of rather than, you something know, something you embrace. Something you come into, which, ironically, I was not the, you know, pick a fighter as my first class. I was uh, 15 in a weeb when I wanted to get into... <laughs> 
Dungeons and Dragons, so I was the let's play a monk, and so I got to appreciate the fighter after diversifying from the monk, which, I mean, except for the bonus damage that monks get for their unarmed strikes, like, you could arguably make a fighter that is better at unarmed combat than a monk. Because that full base attack bonus makes the grapple builds that much better. This is true. I mean, that that's... Getting that, that bonus to hit because you are designed to be that kind of machine uh, gives advantages that people don't really think about when you're looking at, oh, if I'm a monk, I get this ability and this ability and this ability. Or if I'm a ranger, well, I get all these feats for free. But you look at the ranger, it's like, congratulations, you get the feat at 2, 6, and 11. Yeah. Congratulations. The, the fighter build fills in a lot of gaps in between there. Right, which yes, was, you get an animal companion, but it's not as good as the druids. Yep. Good good, good on you. <laughs> three, three behind the druid, usually. Uh, now, with, with fighters, I think back to some of my characters that I, I played as fighters that people might look at and say, you could have done that so much better in a, in a different way. But it once again, those feats allowed me to do things that... The optimal damage variety version of it couldn't get. Well, it what it what it did is I took those feats and the normal feats you would take as a warrior class. I just stuck in the bonus feats, and then all of the regular feats you got in three five, three six, nine, so on. Yeah, this is where I took the fun stuff. So we had a, a campaign run by um, friend Dragon who um, I was sitting there with his dad Drew and his sister Brittany and. In essence, this was, we're going to see how you DM by throwing you in the deep end. And I had a dwarven fighter, and I picked a name out of the book, right? Because the the braces of stone had, here are potential dwarven names. And there was one name that was simply the letter D. It's like, all right, that's it. He's going to be D. And if he's going to be a fighter who's going to find a boat, he's going to be Captain D. Which which ended up having an amazing history and spin-off from that. But I said, all right, he's going to be a fighter. And yes, he's a dwarf, so he's got his going to have his his war axe. He's going to have a hammer. I'm just going to have a bow, and I'm just going to use his fighter feats to stack up the bow stuff. Yeah. But knowing I wanted to be a captain, I looked at what it would take to be a legendary captain and filled in the legendary captain feats along the line with the regular feats, except for the ones that say can be taken as a fighter bonus feat. Oh, of course. Which I then slapped in there. Uh, ever so brilliantly to you know, as I slapped it in there ever so brilliantly it's like alright I can go ahead and just shoot anything I want from a distance I'm steering my boat uh, and I am not really bound by so much yes, I, a lot of the feats I have people are like if you're on a boat you could be a swashbuckle you get all this stuff really well if you want to shoot a bow you can be a ranger the fighter gave me the opportunity to diversify in such a way where I'm not going to be the absolute best at everything, but I'm going to take second place at three, four, five different things. Exactly. And that, that sometimes gets overlooked. Now, it's a different argument as to whether or not that was specifically only the fighter class or the fact that you played a dwarf, the superior 3.5 race. Oh, absolutely. Right. But... God, they got dicks hard in 5th edition. But this is about fighters, so... Yeah. <laughs> so you want um, to play a dwarf, not yeah. in 5e. Well, well, we'll talk about that later. Uh, filling the gaps is, yeah, in 3.5, a very large thing that you want to do. Um, 
with with your normal feats exactly how you did it. But you can still get even if you want your normal feats to just you know make yourself specialized in up to two or three different fighting styles is really easy to do. You know, you get that many where it's like, sure, it's not going to be the optimal damage build, but I am, you know, you're looking at the capability of I can be second in this damage field for three different things. You can get the bow, you can do, you know, the two-handed weapon, I just get there really hard. And then you also still have, you know, I want this exotic weapon to to fill mm-hmm. a niche role mm-hmm. Yep. for whatever reason. <laughs> you can... When you get into, like, the Elvish, like, the Elvish fighters get, like, the Elvish uh, long blade in 3.5, they get the thin blade, they get, uh, I cannot remember what the big honking one is at their version of the Greatsword, where it's exotic weapon proficiency unless you're an Elven fighter. And then, if you are... These things are comparable to the regular counterparts with extended crit ranges. Right. Right. Or the gnomes, you had the hook hammer, where it was a two-handed weapon, but you had the, the pick on one side and the hammer on the other. You know, your orcish double axe. You, you start to get into these things that might be tied to specific races, but other fighters can still proficiency into them. Uh, the which, fact that it's yeah. just a feat for any other fighter. It, I mean, it's a feat for anybody, yep. but when you have feats at disposal... Yeah, fighters can just be, I want all the exotic weapons, even though I'm not that race. Yep. Because I don't get it for free, but I get it for a feat, which is almost free for me. Which is, <laughs> which there leads into the, that flavor standpoint, that I can I can be these different things. Right? I can use these weapons, and that gives me a, well, how did you learn to use an orc double axe? You know, the answer, well, I took the feet. his mom. That's right. You know, I, I, his, his mother and I uh, had a very, very impressive lesson. And then when his dad was off at war, I took his axe and we're, we're going to go from there. Yeah. Um, but it, when you look at the flavor aspect of that, I, I think it's part of it. And I'm sure we'll talk about it more. But for me, the biggest part of being a fighter was versatility. Yeah. I'm like, the fighters are... In a combat standpoint, the fighters are the Swiss Army knife of Dungeons and Dragons because they're they're designed in that way. I think back to um, players like Drew who who were in that the, the unappreciated curmudgeon of D and D spot where there's you know there there is a wrong way to eat a Reese's right you know like that kind of idea. Clerics are built this way, Rangers are built this way. You know this class is built this way. Which led into the idea that I'm going to be the absolute best at what I do. And from a combat standpoint, and all right, you're firing bows. Here's a creature who's got damage reduction unless you have bludgeoning weapons. Right? Or you're going to take that bow and you're going up against a gelatinous whatever. That doesn't, that doesn't necessarily end the way you want it to. No. Um, I think back, and I, I didn't do this with a fighter. I did this with a dragon shaman. So in that same kind of fighter archetype. But if you remember... Uh, this was with Kuprick, my dragon shaman, and we're in that area, and we're dealing with the Rashaka. And you use the... Are you? I had the pick. Yep. Why did I have the pick? It's a D6 weapon, but it's a times four crit, and I just want the big number at some point. And he shows up, and we're, we're in essence, supposed to chase him out. We should not be able to deal with him in combat. I'm facing him alone, and I hit him with the pick, and it's like... You know, it's like, well, I, I do this much damage because I'm, I'm all in on strength. And the DM's like, yeah, well, he's got DR, uh-oh, he's got DR piercing. Like, Yahtzee! Now that he's he's got this stupid look on his face and he knows the fact that I'm going to be able to open him up like a colander, what happens now? Right? Yeah. Like that, 
that level of versatility. Uh, and even though you did that with a Dragon Shaman, you could have gotten to that point faster mm-hmm. with a warrior. Well, I, I think the biggest difference, if I had been a fighter, because as a Dragon Shaman, I just had proficiency. I couldn't put any feats into that. Right. If I'm a fighter and I'm putting in weapon focus, weapon spec, and any of those other feats around specializing with this, I kill their shotgun. Right. Yeah, like it's exactly. one of those. Right. Yeah. You know, it's like cool. I can I can heal myself. I can breathe at him with a reflex save. He'll make. Uh, I've got the weapon that'll do it. But if I'm a fighter, you get to add a little bit more pizzazz. Right. I'm. I have to fight the urge to cookie cutter myself as a fighter. Where, all right, with my my feats. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick a piercing weapon, a bludgeoning weapon, and a slashing weapon, and I'm gonna put some juice behind each of those, so that no like I will eventually choose one to just specialize and run to the end zone, but I'm gonna be putting extra damage on each of those, uh, just so I have what the situation demands, and sometimes that if I'm especially if we're talking the full base attack bonus, if I'm throwing an additional two damage with every swing and I'm getting two to three swings. Right, that that four to six damage is going to add up over time, um, especially as as you start to get hits and you're provoking attacks of opportunity. A lot of these things are going to just play to the benefit of a fighter, and we. It's very often you need to appreciate at least from a, a mechanical numbers game. Uh, every every point of damage counts. Yep. Right, if you have a DM who's all right, here are the hit points of the creature, and we're going to play until those are, are out and not the ones who take a, a storied perspective of the cool shot gets the kill, right? You're, you're going to look at those numbers. And even in a cool shot gets the kill, the fighter who's smart enough to have the appropriate weapon for dealing with the bad guy is probably going to have the cool shot that oh, gets course. the kill. I mean, unless the rogue is pulling off a miracle or... Or if the cleric decide to actually pick up the weapon instead of healing the rogue that didn't accomplish the miracle. <laughs> Should have rolled a cleric rogue. You know? But, yeah, I mean, it's usually down to that. And then another thing that I really, you know, like with the specialization, you know, I've also pulled out even more wonky fighter builds, you know, where somebody in that it's a cookie cutter and you can do things better than that. An underappreciated is an int-based fighter. Now, in 3-5, the, there are, with some multi-classing ways to make it even better, but just going with the, um, or down the entire... Uh, the skill tree, like the, the climb, jump, swim... No, bit. no, no, the... Uh, uh, combat expertise uh, route Ooh, where you yeah. get to because uh, you need an int of 13 minimum to be able to give up base attack bonus to raise your um, armor class your armor class but then you also have that's where you have the sunders that's where you have you know that entire line is all within there which is int based already having extra skill points really mm-hmm. good for a fighter yeah and um you know, there you don't have to worry about strength either. You can just go ahead and make yourself a finesse guy on top of it and only care about your AC through light armor and raising it through this expertise as you keep going. And suddenly you're actually filling the role of a tank. Well, that, Not, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, when I think of that, it, it gets into an idea that 
is almost blasphemy since the beginning. Because if you look back at first edition and second edition, the start of third edition, as a fighter, your stat is strength, right? You throw everything into strength. You want a big strength. And now, as time has gone on, especially three, three, five, and, and leading on to the other editions, uh, with the, with the feats available, you run into one of those situations where. As long you don't want your strength putting you in the negatives, but you could build an index fighter where you're doing like the expertise in combat reflexes bit, where you're just going for quantity, yeah. and you can build up all those all those feats that build off of those trees on the deck side, and then you could even go so far as to like juice up with some bow feats there because you're you're in on decks and you're just playing a. You're playing a numbers game. I'm not going to have one big hit that does a lot, but I'm going to have a lot of little hits that are going to add up very quickly. Exactly. Uh, which then, from that dexterity standpoint, gets you into the I don't need to have the big heavy armor. Right. I can I can start with the light armor, and then as things get up to what would be medium, and I can mithril that out. I'm still, still moving at full flight, speed. You know? Yeah. Right. You're still moving. You're still moving your thirty, and a a fighter who can quickly move around the battlefield. Who can can interrupt and cause problems that are right, the, the guy who's flanking can actually do some damage, right? Um, the guy who can step in the way and 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 take those hits because they've got the hit points, you know, that their dexterity is high enough that their reflex save might not be totally in the tank. It, it changes the the game a little bit. It also allows you like just I mean I know you said it kind of earlier with people that had. Uh broken out of the fighter thing where it's like you know the cleric is going to take aggro anywhere anyway because you know the smart enemy is going to go after the healer the cleric doesn't have any aggro to pull if you disarm Mm -hmm. or even sunder the weapon of the guy that's going after it so it's a way to watch each other's back you have this you know, instead of the fighter just being the guy that goes into the middle and then ignored and you just hope you have the damage, suddenly you're an actual team player all around. Yep. Like you're you're it feels weird to think of a fighter as a support class in that in that scenario, but I Well just make anybody into a support, support class. class. We'll get into that through this entire series. Right. We'll tell you how to make everybody a support <laughs> class. <laughs> I, but I, I it's interesting because you're the idea of, of what people traditionally think of as a support class makes it it feels, uh, God dare I say, very secondary when it's really changing how you're fitting the puzzle pieces together. It doesn't work if everybody's there right. and doing what they're supposed to be doing. And giving up some of the DPS to a rogue or just cutting off, you know, being able to quickly move to deal with people who are coming after the wizard or the cleric, right? To be able to close distance to the, the BBEG who might be so far away and just. By, by keeping that, that lighter armor with the dex build, you're moving 50% faster. So you can cover 50% more distance. Also, support comes through, you know, crowd control. And there's a lot of options for fighters to get crowd control through all of these feats. It's not even just the single target sunder and all that stuff. You get bull rush and right. all of this stuff. The whirlwind attack to hit a bunch of people. Exactly. And once you have that with a trip weapon... <laughs> I think things get very interesting. Then, then you are the crowd control, which is support, and that's a really great thing to do with a fighter. Or in fifth edition, this is coming back to the uh, the superiority dice. If you know what you're doing, uh, one of the maneuvers is a provoke, 
Mm. Does not say melee weapon. Ah. So all you have to do is be the the guy using the maneuver within. I I think it does have a range on it, but if you provoke the guy over there, you're either supporting the person he's already hitting, because then he has disadvantage, or he's wasting his entire turn trying to get to you. Yep. <laughs> Open, opening the slot for the wizard, opening the slot for the cleric. It's also a temp hit die attack that, again, at range, really cool. <laughs> I like it. Now, when I think about you know some of these builds, like you have wide open options, but right. depending on the race you pick, there there's some builds that are going to be a little bit better than others. Oh, of course. Right. As you as I think of dwarves more specifically in three five, you know the the God bless the great dwarven line. You move 20 feet, but you move 20 feet no matter what. That's the part I don't like about 5th edition. They have everything except, except the 20 feet. The 20 feet no matter what. I mean, in, in that scenario, you're with all the options, I would not think to build a dex-based Dwarven fighter. Right? Because you're... It, the advantages you have in that... If I'm moving 20 feet no matter what, I'm going to throw the heaviest bulkiest armor on this oh, guy. Of course. Right? You know, you you can still use a bow and, and one of the ways with the feats that make it interesting is I could see a very low deck storm fighter who just burns a feat on Zen Archery. So because you want that will save up as as a fighter. And of then course. to be able to just alright, now I'm just gonna range damage with this bad boy or just range attack with this bad boy and all of a sudden I'm hitting big. Like we, I will also talk about things like that as, as clerics because uh, our buddy Jim in the Epic Level campaign uh, is playing an elven cleric because in, as an elf he, in 3.5 he gets free proficiency with swords and longbows, but he could slap Zen archery on that and still have the traditional um, decks in the friend. toilet right thing, yeah. and he's still firing the elven bow, and right he's, he's hitting... You know, he's, he's sitting uh, like a ton with that thing so that he is not a cleric who's ever out of gas. Uh, but with with an elven fighter, I can see going in that dex build because you are you have the feel of a swashbuckler already because you have the, the swords for the elven fighters that have the extended crit range at the same damage dice. Yeah. Uh, your most elven armor that at the top tier is starting to design to be mithril so it's coming down and you're going to keep movement most of the time unless you go to a full plate right the the proverbial elven chain has been in the game forever exactly right and Which... it's right there it's first level or i should say it's a it's it's light armor right so you're always getting that that low or the the low end lack of movement penalties and i think yeah, it still gives a ridiculous, like, sure, you're going to go past the cap just for, like, to hit with weapon finesse style builds and stuff, but it still allows a plus six of your dexterity to the armor class. Yep. Like, that is ridiculous. <laughs> and right there, even before we get into magic, you're starting to get to a good armor class right there, especially uh, against most things that aren't going to be big hitters, by which time you'll have magical juice to augment it. And so they get that chance to be uh, very nimble and and more of that you know dancing around crowd control because you're arguably going to want a little bit more in the intelligence. So they, even though it feels a little bit stranger, they might be good for those combat expertise builds where they're doing um, like the trips and the attacks and whatnot. Now oh, you, of course. you still want at least a decent strength to to make those happen. 
but you don't necessarily need to top it out. Exactly. Plus, as a dex fighter, uh, you can then, for a lot of those, use your dexterity instead of your strength when defending against those, making it much harder for people to trip you, for people to disarm you. Uh, it, it gives you a, a good amount of defense to go along with it. Right? If I think of halfling fighters, and strangely, I see a lot of halfling uh, fighter archetypes. Or in that fighter classes with like the fighter... I've even seen a barbarian, and that was something. Um, you know, I've seen like the ranger usually on the riding dog is a is a classic almost trope at this point. I don't ever think. I, actually, no, you were the halfling monk. I was. At once. I was the the monk rogue combo, but yeah, it was. Uh, even before I knew I wanted to do the rogue portion of it, um, I was looking at going into I think three five with the uh, races of wild. They have the Whisper Knife or whatever, which is a um, prestige class, but I think it's more fighter-based than anything else for for a halfling. I mean, it is more ninja-esque because you're, (laughs) you know, coming from the shadows and everything, but it's just all about taking what you would already be doing, specializing in thrown weapons and stuff, and giving you more bonuses that way for a halfling fighter. Yep, that's the the little things you can do with some of these guys make things somewhat more interesting. You think that every type of race is going to have some archetypical or archetype fighter that is emblematic of what you think, because you even if people have different things, you don't walk into a gnomish encampment and find the whole thing guarded by illusionists, right? It's just not how that operates. Like with with the halflings, if they're oh, not all that you know of. They may all be illusionists, and you just don't realize it because the illusion is that good. That, that I mean, that that would be some like some like four dimensional chess right there. If they're if they're going in that route, I don't. I'm not. I wouldn't expect it. I mean, you'd surprise the living bejeevers out of me if they did it, but it's it's possible. But there is that. If you work through just about any race that is playable, like everybody has a fighter type, even if we're going. On the uh, not traditional races, things like hobgoblins, goblins, whatnot, like the fighter is the one universal class across it is, everything. It is, it is how you perceive the stereotypes in D anD. d Yes, exactly <laughs> right. When you think of a lot of what, these things, what do their fighters and casters look like? Mm-hmm. All right, we know. Like even if you look at the casters, well, is it a cleric or is it a shaman? Is it a wizard? Is it a specialist? But the fighter is the fighter. They will always have fighters of some sort. Like some of them will tailor off. Oh, we got we got barbarians. Not like you'll have some barbarians, but there's going to be a lot of fighters. Yeah. So if I'm if I'm thinking about the fighters and I'm thinking about those builds and where we could we could go with that, like if you're going to build a, a fighter fresh for a campaign, what's something you would try to do that you haven't done before? Like some archetype that's like that would really be fun, but it's it's one of those that with all the characters we have in the bank because there's just not enough campaigns to to play all of these ideas. What's your next fighter look like? Grenadier. All in on just getting <laughs> extra damage off of throwing alchemical things. That's that that becomes a very expensive fighter in the long run, but oh, it, I mean, 
worst case scenario, you just, like, you can start to make up some other thing. Like, you just make a master thrower or something like that. But when you have the opportunity, you want it to be the alchemical stuff. Like, you're working with your wizard. Here, let's make this stuff because I want to throw cluster bombs. Yep. And outside of that, it's like, you know, I don't have to be the hulking hurler, but if I have the strength... I'll pick up a rock and lob that thing, and <laughs> I would argue that I get a little bit of, you know, depending on the weight and how far I can throw it, it's like maybe I get shrapnel because it was a big ball of flint. <laughs> yeah, you get, like, what if you go, like, the some of the throwing feats where you get, like, throw enemy. Yeah. You, you start off as, as something maybe, as, you, it's great against the small creatures, or you, you enlarge per, get yourself in large person, and it's like, all right, I'm going to grab this hobgoblin, I'm just going to bowl him right into a bunch of other guys because... You, you do a bunch of damage to the guy you hit, but you still damage everybody else right around him. But yeah, just like, maybe this is partially because you were watching uh, Andre the Giant stuff, but yeah, it's just like the, <laughs> how do I approach this? Well, when they finally get close enough, sure, I'm going to throw hands, but I'll just chuck rocks at people until, until they get here. <laughs> if some of those rocks can have a nice fiery effect... All the better. Get some brutal throw on that and, yeah. and really juice up the damage dice. Yeah, I'm, if I'm thinking about a fighter, like my next fighter, I'd want to go with one of those races that I don't normally use. Like, I've never played a halfling fighter. I've never played a gnomish fighter. Like, I'd want to take some some small character and just make a, a Swiss Army Knife fighter where I'd, I'd find one thing that race does really Literally, well. because you can fit into somebody's pocket. Exactly, right? Find that you got to get enlarge somebody else and you just fit in the backpack and there you go you just you throw the backpack and I come springing out and all the all the damage happens right this this is this is a master blaster kind of tag team turned up to 11 I, I like it already get get to pretend that it's a bag of holding just because it is heavy and then when somebody tries to steal it because they think it's a bag of holding you pop out and start cutting up their face yeah I got you you want some backpacks for kids lady take this one right at some point when we get to NPCs we'll talk about my version of Miss Cleo and the backpacks for kids scam oh poor Caleb but I, I, I think that would, you know, the way that the fighters can pair up and work off each other, and this is, as you get larger groups, you're going to have a, a variety of things. It's having multiple fighters at the table. Uh, I think it's, it's a very different experience than having two clerics or two wizards or two, uh, two rogues. It's one of the only, well, all right, so 5th edition is a little bit different, um, but in 3-5, it's like, you can easily, like, let's say it's a four-man party, and I personally, uh, I've grown to despise the core four, you know, just in general as a party. If you want to double up on things, go ahead. Yep. I don't care. Um, but if you're looking at it from a core four uh, standby, two fighters is perfectly fine because... Sure, there may be some penalties without having it as a class skill, but you can make one of them through feats and stuff be a little bit more roguish for the out-of-combat stuff, and in combat, it's two melee people anyway. Who the hell cares? Yep. Yeah, it's, and there you get the you know the differences that, where you know you could have the one guy who's really good at range, one guy who's really good at, at the melee, one guy who's more tanky, the other one is going to be the expertise... Yeah. where you get to mix and match these skills and all of a sudden you now have two of these like the, the giant hundred dollar Swiss Army Knights with 50 things in them 
but most of the things are different from one knife to the other, right? And then it just becomes this, we can do just about everything, right? And then if you get that, we can't dis disarm a trap. Well, the guy with dex can make a reflex save, so he can disarm a trap, right? We get the experience no matter what. I mean, you also have the idea of, like, this is your muscle at, uh, to help build the things, but if you have your party of four, sure, you have a healer slash, or just the cleric for the, the better bonus spells and stuff. You have the wizard-ish person, and they're helping with magically imbuing all of the things, and then you have, you know, two fighters that are the hired muscle, whether or not their strength is all there, you know, maybe one is better at climbing. But you have now a core four that their entire thing is making and using siege equipment on the fly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when this core four can have a trebuchet up in 20 minutes <laughs> that launches giant meteors of, you know, radiant power, what are you going to do? Or even... It gives you greater distance on the halfling in a bag. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, such brilliance. So what, like, you know, fighters can be a lot of fun. But once again, a lot of the times we'll sit down a new player. Here's your fighter. Here's your sword. Here's your board. What are some of the pitfalls? What are, what are things that, because you have so many options, like you can run into trouble? I mean, I, I think part of it is we talked earlier that a good fighter is going to be second place at everything. Right, but you're going to want to pick some things. In essence, you're going to you're going to have a major and a bunch of minors uh, for all you college students out there. Where I'm going to do maybe these two or three things really well, and I'm going to be capable at the rest of these. Uh, but is there a risk at just trying to do too much with the fighter, even with all the the feats and, and abilities? Uh, there is that risk, yes. Um, but. In th I, I think the risk is less in 3-5. Uh, but also, I mean, the risk is different between the two editions. But uh, in 3-5, the risk comes at... There's probably a handful of things where you'll take third in. Um, like I don't think you can literally build a character, even with a fighter, that can do everything. You're going to have limitations, right? Right. Um, but at the same time, you and I like to build... You know, whether we like to or not, we've gotten good at playing the I-have-to-fit-multiple-roles characters. <laughs> and the fact that I don't yes. think, except for your story of... Uh, and you know, that character is a decade old. I think within the last five years, I don't think either of us have done it with a fighter either to fill so many niche roles. <laughs> well, I th when I think about it, part of that, too, is uh, for some players, spells are daunting, right? There's a lot Oh, that's why track. somebody will always choose a fighter as a beginner. I mean, whether or not it's specifically a fighter, you know, you have a lot of beginners that want the barbarian or the ranger, too. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, spells deter new players <laughs> this is like a fighter is like the fastest path to start playing right yeah. arguably because it's it is the lowest learning curve which gives it an advantage um but when i when i think of disadvantages it's like all right you can get in there you can fight 
but as you play more D&D, you realize there's more to it than that. And even with an intelligence fighter, your your skills uh, in three five at least are so li- like you can do the physical stuff. You can get a craft. You might get a craft. I think you can get a profession. Everybody gets craft. Everybody gets profession. Those right. Are- but be- beyond that and the physical stuff, and then there's intimidate. Granted, you can use your strength to intimidate instead of charisma. But there's a lot of things you just you can't do. You're designed to be a bag of meat in some cases. I mean, yes, the same way that you know a guard dog is a bag of meat. Sometimes you are the pony of yes. the group. Sometimes you, especially when you're playing the dwarf, it's like, oh, just I'll, I will be the party funds. Yep. Put it I, in the bag. You don't have to write it down. I don't have to write it down on my character sheet. Just, we have the party fun sheet, and just assume it's somewhere on my 20-feet dwarf. That's right. <laughs> it's going to keep but, on moving. But, um, yeah, I mean, skill-wise, you are, in 3.5, more limited to only the physical things. Um, unless you just go in on making a stat ridiculous, and therefore you don't need max skill points. Yep. But then again, that's also falls in line with the idea of you're not going to be the best, you just need to be second best. Because the idea of, you might also get spot and listen or... No, you don't. Not, no. not in 3-5. No spot, okay. no listen, no hide, no move silently. Oh, I, I knew you wouldn't get yeah. the hide and move silently. I, I assumed that the idea of a fighter being competent enough to mm-hmm. identify where the threat is would be important. <laughs> uh. Climb, jump, swim. Right. No balance, no tumble, climb, jump, swim. Oh, yeah, I know, no climb. I, I really thought they had, like, just a couple more things. Well, I mean, there's that's a, an argument about 3-5. It's like, you'd think that the people who are on guard duty would know how to look for stuff. Yeah. Right. I get not having search, but not having spots seems a little... Right, right. But, um, yeah, I mean, just standing out uh, or maxing out a stat is quickly as possible and getting your skills are high enough off of that and then you only have a certain amount of points uh in the actual ranks in three five i think that's still good enough you know you make the you choose the ones that you want yep and you try to force them (laughs) as hard as you can which isn't the best but you force them as high as you can which is good enough for a fighter there's also plenty of feats that give minuscule, but, you know, they add up. You got enough things that add plus two, plus three. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> you get fives off of those feats, and those die rolls aren't looking too terrible. Right. right. So you can you can make things make things happen. So it, it is a shortcoming, but it's not something that isn't hard for the fighter to work around. And at that point, you can still be combat relevant because it's like you only need four out of your 80 feats. This is true. <laughs> this, is, this is true. You can you can you can build a an almost, you know, a second tier skill monkey over the course of 20 levels by just All right, I'll take these feats and I'm just going to keep stacking up my plus 2s and by a decent intelligence I'm going to cross class these things as far as I can go and and if you went human, your human uh, level 1 human uh, Feet was uh, able learner, so that way you're not spending two skill points. A trick down all the on all the cross class skills. Still, only can go up to half ranks, but you're only spending one on it. 
So uh, thinking about the other things, like we've talked about why fighter over ranger in some cases, because it's like if you're just talking about the bow damage or even the two weapon fighting, you can you can get there and do a, a better job with uh, the fighter. Right? You can you get the the class specifically on damage. I think I think if you're to look at what an entire class does damage wise archetypally. Uh, doing bow stuff or even two weapon stuff the ranger gets cocked hard because the fighter that's the only one it's the only class in doing its thing the fighter can even out damage because of the specializations that's right you stack the specializations and the masteries you know, that come down the line you know, when it comes to wielding great axes you can be just if not more competent than the barbarian you're never out damaging the barbarian as nope. a fighter, you know. And that's a strength bump, right? That's the, the 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 raging bump, right? Exactly. That's that comes from the raging and stuff. Like you can get close, but you'll never beat it. You know, uh, you're never going to have uh, an AC to. Well, I mean, technically, you'd have about the same AC as a paladin, but I consider the charisma bump to saves. To be a C equivalent, so you're never <laughs> going to be as much of a survivor as a paladin, you know. But except for the fact that rangers get a few spells, their list isn't that great in three five, uh, and an animal companion, which is good enough to get flanking for themselves. This is I'll true. You, I'll grant you that. But as far as like you choose an arc, uh, you know the the tried and true archetype for one entire class fighters will always out damage in the same archetype a ranger yeah so i think closing thoughts on the fighter here i still think as we had talked about it is the most versatile class and uh it is probably the most fun uh through both play and uh Theory crafting. This is true. Uh, and then just because I think I didn't cover it with one uh, more thing that you said, uh, pitfalls. I uh, I feel because you get locked into that early combat as a new player, taking fighter as your first class as a new player will make it harder for you to get to a good role playing position in your D and D career. It'll be harder for you when you're just handed a sheet saying, here, you can do this, and it's so generic that you don't have any character in it. This is true. I, like, if I was to make a fighter, I, like, my characters, by definition, find their voices as to, as to what they try to do. And for new players, uh, you know, it's the very focused on the ROLL part of role-playing uh, when you're a fighter, and that... Um, sometimes branching out into the ROLE playing and appreciating uh, how how that plays that's that is what differentiates it from the video games in my opinion and, and the fighter is arguably the most video gameish class because of how easy it is to, to build and sort and things in slots and, and at your least weapons. when you're new to the game if when you're new. if you already know what you're doing then you can pick up a fighter and be the most flamboyant at the table. And you're the yeah. dwarven archer who suddenly became an admiral who's got a fleet and he's <laughs> running away from the end of the world and can outsail Poseidon and and, and silliness happens. But, right. Uh, 
But this, I think this was a good opener to this series of So You Want to Be, as we've talked here at Dungeon Master Eddie with his buddy Jeff talking So You Want to Be a Fighter. And a lot of the things uh, people can look at, and ideas for new players, and even things for Dungeon Masters to think about to help you know, flesh out new players at the table and, and help them both see the options without overloading them at the same time. So once again, this is the Exodus of Magic Podcast, Episode 12, and we'll see you next time. Bye.